Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. All right, guys, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. We are going to be starting today, really, and over the next couple of months, in the third section of the Gospel of John. It's John chapter 13 through 17, and it's, it's a major portion of the Gospel and here's the interesting thing. So John chapter 13 through 17, that, that's five chapters. Five chapters about not just one day, but one evening. That, that's what's significant here is that John in all of his gospels, so we just spent up to chapter 12 talking about all of his ministry before that, and we're now at the point of a, a significant issue that's getting ready to happen, and that's the crucifixion. And so now he's going to spend five chapters telling you what Jesus said in a few hours because it's important. It's important for you and I. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to focus on meeting Jesus. We're going to get to know him, but it's going to move. The emphasis is going to move from just getting to know him through the things that he's done through the miraculous things and who he's shown him to be, even getting to know him through recognizing our own response to him or the response of others. We're going to see him in a new way, hopefully in an intimate way. And actually, I feel that these five chapters are so important. So let's, let's get into them today. And so what I want you to see is, is that what he's going to focus on in these five chapters is life in the meantime. Now, what, what do I mean by that, life in the meantime? Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts here. First of all, there is confusion concerning what we should do while Jesus is away. So we recognize that he went to the cross, he was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He was with them for a little bit of time, and then he ascended to heaven, said he would be back, and he's with the Father now, seated on the right hand of the Father, and, and that's been 2,000 years. And we know that one day, Jesus is going to come back, right? We know that the sky is going to crack, he's going to come back and set everything right. Now, the big question is, and this is the big question that has been around for 2,000 years, what do we do in the meantime? Where should our focus be? How do we live during this time? And the church really has struggled with that for centuries. And so you have on one emphasis that we need to be doing justice things. Another emphasis is we need to be doing evangelism. And others saying we need to do this and we need to do that. And there's this big, huge emphasis about what we should be doing. And if you notice, people are really confused about what they should be doing. And even within a congregation, you might have people who are on different sides of the perspective and, and they kind of grade against each other because they think this should be happening and others think this should be happening. This is what we should be doing. And, and the reality is, is that there is confusion concerning what we should be doing while Jesus is away. 
There's confusion. And I think that's why we have these five chapters. They're in the upper room. It's the Passover. And Jesus is with his disciples and he's going to tell them what they need to do. In fact, Jesus gave us clear instructions and guidance for the time he is away. This is why I think John spends a lot of time here. He spends a lot of time here. In fact, he spends more time talking about what Jesus said in those few hours on the night in which he was betrayed than he does everywhere else. He spends even more time than what he spends on the crucifixion. Because during this time, Jesus is going to tell you and I how we should be living, what we should be doing, and how we should be interacting with each other. And to be honest with you, I think probably it's the most ignored five chapters of the Bible. It's actually, can I be honest with you, 25% of this gospel. 25% of the gospel of John is this discussion here in these five chapters. Now, do you think that's important? And so today, he's going to talk about his being a master and a servant. And what that means for you and I. So let's look at the passage together. We're going to start off in verse 1, and we're going to work our way through verse 17. Here's what John writes. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the supper being ended... The devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. He then came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing to you, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed need only wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, it's a familiar passage. I think we're all recognize it. It's the passage concerning the washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus. So after they had their meal, and, and, and let me just be honest with you, it would also be the time in which Jesus would introduce to them what we refer to as the Lord's table or communion. He set aside his garments, so basically he stripped down, girded his loins, so basically he girded a towel around his waist, and he set himself to wash the disciples' feet, to take care of them, to do something that was pretty common, that they should have done, that everybody did for themselves. And with that, he's going to give them an example, and he's going to give you and I a principle about how we should be with each other. And let me explain something to you that I'm just going to go ahead and say it, it's countercultural. What do you mean? It's countercultural to our society today? No, it's countercultural to how we do church. Because what you're going to see is, is that he's actually advocating how we interact with each other. So let's go through this together. I, I think it's very significant. I want you to notice with me. Let's look, first of all, verses 1 to 2 are the setting. He's trying to help us to recognize exactly when this is. So this is a shift in the, in the whole gospel. He's telling us the hour is now there. So remember, Jesus had said before, my hour has not come. My hour has not come. Well, now the hour has come for him to what? Go to be with the Father. But before that, the cross. And then he goes on and acknowledges here, and I think this is what should be wonderful to you and I, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the reality was is that he loves his disciples. How much? To the end. Let me go ahead and tell you this. You don't need to question whether or not God loves you. That should never enter into your mind. Those words, do you love me, God, should never be uttered by you. The reality is, is God loves you. And so he cares for you. And knowing that he's going away, he's going to give them some instructions to help them while he's away. And the first thing he does is he's going to talk to them about how they interact with each other. So here's what I want you to notice, first of all, about his example. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus went beyond the cultural norms in his actions towards others. He went beyond the cultural norms. What do you mean the cultural norms, George? Well, okay, so one of the things that they would do and their culture is they would have to wash their feet. So let's say somebody invites Lori and I over to their house for dinner. If we were living in, in, in Israel at that time, in, in Judea, and we went over to their house, the fact of the matter is I wouldn't have shoes. I would probably be wearing sandals. Or maybe I'd have to, if I was poor, have to go by my bare feet. But the fact of the matter is I would be walking with Basically open toe, I guess you could say, right? And then because it, the roads aren't paved, they're dusty. And when you kick up dust, it gets on you. So therefore, your feet get what? Caked with dust. So somebody's invited Lori and I over to the house, and we make our way there. Our feet are pretty dirty. So one of the things that would be made available to anyone going to any home 
would be a jar or a jug or something with water so that the person coming would what? Wash their feet before they would come into the house. Now, the responsibility of washing your feet was your own. In fact, it was such a menial, let's go ahead and say it, gross job that the expectation of the culture was is that nobody else should do it. In fact, it was considered so beneath anyone to wash anybody else's feet, even the slaves were not required to wash their master's feet. It was your own job to wash your own feet. You go walking somewhere you shouldn't be, you take care of your own feet, right? But notice now Jesus, after the meal, he's doing something, folks, that is completely what? Counter-cultural. Going against the cultural norms, girds himself up, goes over to his disciples, and he begins to what? Wash their feet. He goes beyond what's the acceptable. And that's the example he's showing us here. So the, the reality is, is he went beyond. And, and so here's what happens. So he starts washing their feet. He comes to Peter. Now, you got to, I, I love Peter. Peter is great. Peter's a speak your mind kind of guy. And he comes to Peter and Peter loves the Lord. Nobody should deny Peter loving the Lord. Peter has it in his mind. I am following the Messiah. He deserves all honor. And here comes Jesus, girded with a towel. He comes over, and he's going to start to wash Peter's feet. And he's like, what are you doing? You're not going to wash my feet, because Peter understands the norm. He is the master, the teacher. Don't wash my feet. Jesus replies to him and says what? Look, if I don't wash your feet, you're not a part of me. And here's how Peter reacts. Overreacts all the time. Well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my head and my hands as well. I'll do whatever, Jesus. You just do it. What's going on here? I'm going to tell you something. This is where we need to learn about the example of Jesus. And here's this. There is a tendency to dictate how God should act. That, that's what Peter's done. Peter's done that several times. You know, when he, when he says, you know, uh, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you know, you're the son of God. And he says, well, you know, Peter, no one showed that to you. And he says, you are Peter upon this rock. Right after that, he says, I'm going to the cross. Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. If you would hinder me, you're not a part of me. This is, this is the reality. Peter's that kind of guy. Peter has it in his mind what's supposed to happen with Jesus because Jesus is the man. And so he's kind of dictating what things should be happening. But here's the thing. God doesn't go by our dictates. God doesn't go by our ideas of the way it should be. He goes by his own ideas. And I think we should recognize that. Sometimes we have this concept that this is the way it should be. God, you're supposed to do this, and God doesn't do that. And sometimes we get blown away. I can think about it. Now, I've, I've been a believer since 1985. There were many times that I was convinced that, God, you should act this way. And he didn't. Or if I did this, boom, Lord, you would do this. And guess what? God, God doesn't answer to me. He doesn't answer to you either. He does what he does for his purpose. Period. And we have that tendency to want to dictate to him. And, and, and I, that's why I've got, sometimes I have to challenge myself. George, have you thought about your prayers lately? What are they? Are they you interacting with God or are you telling God what to do? That's something for us to think about, isn't it? Are, are, are your prayers, 
you interacting with the living God or you telling him what to do? So there's this tendency. And so he's showing us this example. But here, here's what he wants you and I to see. Here's the principle. There needs to be a willingness to give up what we want. There needs to be a willingness to give up what we want. Look with me at verses 8 through 11 here in chapter 13. He says this, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered. If I do not wash, you shall have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, He who has bathed need only to wash his feet and be completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So the reality is, is that if you're going to want to be with Jesus, if you're going to want to walk with him, you've got to be willing to do what he says. And sometimes what he says isn't normal. And you've got to be willing to give up ultimately your, can I tell you what the big thing we've got to give up? Our pride. And that's got to be, to be honest with you, that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest thing for us because we want what we want. And that's even true in church. But if we're going to be a part of him, we've got to be willing to give up. And isn't that the example that he gave, not my will, Lord, but your will be done when he's getting ready to go to the cross? Now, I think it's interesting. I should make a comment about it because he says not all of you are clean. What's he talking about? Well, he's saying that among the 12, there was one who was not clean. Who was that? Judas, right? I think it should be, you and I need to be aware, just because somebody says they're a follower doesn't mean they're a follower. Not everybody who comes to church is a follower. Not everybody who comes to church is genuinely saved. Jesus knew that. We know that. Why? Well, he gave us a parable, one of the other gospels, that the, the sower went out and sowed seed, and that seed was good seed, but in the night the enemy came and he sowed chairs, and so the tares grew up with the weed, and somebody said, hey, should we go and pluck out the weeds? And they said, no, leave it to the end, and they will be separated in the end. Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? Depart from me, I never knew you. The reality is, is that there are among us people who don't know Jesus. They think they do, they act like they do, but the reality is, is they're not. They're doing it for their own reasons, whatever it might be. But what he's saying is, is if you want to follow me, if you want to be a part of me, you need to give up what you want and let me do what I want to do in your life. Man, that is a hard lesson. I've learned, I can't say that I've learned it. He is constantly showing me it's not what you want, George. It's not what you want. It's what I want. And that's the example he's given us here. So what are we supposed to do with that? So he tells them here. He, he moves on from the example and he gives a principle. And that's where we're going to focus now the last of our time here on verses 12 through 17. I've got three thoughts I want you to see here. Okay? Here, here's what he's saying. First of all, look with me at verses 12 through 15. Here's what he says. Then he, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, some groups through the years uh, take this to be very literal. 
who will take this as a literal command that you and I are, as a part of the communion service, to have a time of feet washing. And so the men would gather and the men would wash each other's feet and the ladies would gather and the ladies wash their feet. I don't think that's what he's saying here. But what's going on here? Here's what he's doing. He set an example for us to live by. What's the example? He says it. I am your master. And you say, well, then I am. But I, your master, have washed your feet. Now again, remember what I said earlier about the washing of the feet. Who are the people who wash their feet? Who are the feet washing people? Is it slaves? No. Slaves don't even do that. It's too menial for them. The only people who wash feet are yourselves, right? You wash your own feet. Because it's such a beneath the spectrum of what should be allowed to do. It is only person that does it is you, but here's he's saying, it's so menial, so lowly. I am doing that, and I'm your master. Now you're saying, how in the world is that an example for us to follow? Are we, again, do we get back to where we start washing each other's feet in here, or we call somebody up and say, hey, I'm coming over. What's the gross job you need me to do? It's not that, but it's a mentality that no one is that important but that we should be there for each other, no matter what status we have within the group. So, yeah, George is the pastor, but you know what? George is the pastor, but George is where you are at. Did you understand what I'm saying? And we live in a culture, a church culture, which, by the way, it's even true in pastoral circles. I go to pastor's conferences, and even among pastors, there's this pecking order thing. So there's the pastors of the small churches, and then there's the, the fewer it gets of how big they are, and the more prominent they are, and how bigger they are, they can become more prominent, and there's this pecking order thing. And, and that's just the way culture operates, right? We, we do that. We put people on pedestals, and we have people who are in positions of authority, and, and they don't do the menial jobs. You know, they don't wash people's feet. They have somebody else hired to wash people's feet, and, and, and people aren't on the same level with people. And, but yet, Jesus is saying here, I am your master, but I'm washing your feet this is the example that I want you to follow. We're not into who's got a prominent position here. We're to be like this with each other, period. This is the example that we're following here. He sets an example for us to live by. This isn't about achieving what you want to achieve. And what Jesus is saying, everybody's the same minister to each other. Yes, there are people who have positions, but they're given positions for serving certain roles within the church body. But we're to minister to each other like we're all on the same plane. That's not the way society does it, does it? Not at all. So he sets an example. Here's the other thing. Standing and status are reversed with Jesus. Standing and status are reversed with Jesus. What do you mean standing? Position. Status. How prominent you are in a social economics. All of that is reversed. How do I know that? You go over to James. Remember James? He, he kind of rebukes his writer saying, a rich guy comes in, you, a poor guy comes in and sits down and you say, oh, well, you know, sit over here in a lowly position. The rich guy comes in with rings on his fingers and everything and you're like giving him the best seat in the house. And maybe telling the poor guy to sit at his feet. And James is saying, 
That's, a, that's wrong. That's not right. Why? Because Jesus is reversing all of that. We like to say that the ground at the foot of the cross is equal, don't we? It is. We're all on the same level. And that's the example that he, the master, would, would assume the role of someone lower than a servant and wash people's feet. And he's saying, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to do the same thing. It's not about what you're achieving. Man, I have got to remind that, myself of that all the time. George, it's not what you are achieving. It's who you are as a person and how you relate to others. That, that's, that's the reality. So here's, here's what he's saying. Jesus states that if you do what he's telling you to do, you will be blessed. That statement is so contradictory to what we see in life. Because isn't that true in life? We have this concept that in order for us to be blessed in life, we have to strive for what? The position or status for the acknowledgement of others and, and, and being in a higher position over others. And if we get into that kind of stratosphere of life, then everything will be okay and we'll be blessed. Isn't it interesting though that if you really check it out, that even people who are in the higher stratus of life aren't satisfied? And they aren't that blessed. He's saying to you, look, if you want to be blessed, then do what I'm telling you to do and how you interact with each other. And you'll be blessed. And when I talk about blessing here, I am not talking about your bank account's going to grow. Or your retirement plan is going to be economic failure proof. We'd like that, wouldn't we? But you're going to be blessed. See, so, okay, George, what, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? What, what, what are you getting at here? Listen, remember what he's doing here in these chapters. We're meeting Jesus. We, we want to know him. We want to get to know him. Well, at this point, he's moved beyond understanding who he is. He's now talking about, look, I want you to do certain things because I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going to leave. I'm telling you how you need to be living right now until I come back. And I think it's interesting. The very first thing he talks to them about is how they interact with each other. How they serve each other and need to serve each other. And not seeking, as the world seeks, position and power and status. But family. Family. Being who you need to be with each other. That's what he's talking about here.
Hi folks, this is George. I want to thank you for listening this morning, and I want to tell you about a free app that you can get for your mobile device that will allow you to access all the materials and information you need about our church in one device. Simply go to your app store on your Android or Apple device and search for Kerwinsville Christian Church. The app is free, And what you'll find there is everything you need to know, plus all the teaching from our church, as well as this program. And we hope that you will utilize that in your search for Christ. Until next week, folks, take care and may the Lord bless you.